We are starting a short story, uh, a, a series, a short series on parables or the stories that Jesus told. And uh, about a year ago, our pastoral team were kind of like, okay, what do you want us to do this, this year? And, and this is you know, what we put on the schedule. And, and I'm excited about it because it's, it, it, it's just, it, it's touching. There's some things I think I'm going to bring out, hopefully, that will maybe, um, maybe basically bring you to a point of hopefully conviction, hopefully a point of um, growth, uh, comfort, and, and, and purpose. Because sometimes what happens is that, you know, I just, I just had, a, I had a young man uh, talk to me last week and just like, man, I don't know what my purpose is. And so we got to, we got to talk about purpose. And I think we're going to unpack some things this morning that are going to be pretty, pretty telling. I'm excited about it. But a biblical parable has been described as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, uh, scholars disagree on how many parables there actually were. You'll have some that'll say Jesus had seven, some say ten, some say twelve. And if you look at the, the content of the whole Bible, anywhere from 100 to 250. How many of you realize that people just can't hardly agree on anything anymore? But what, what's interesting, it, it, it defines on the... It, it's, if you define parable loosely enough to include all the parabolic instruction, you'll find like, for example, in Proverbs 25, 11, it says like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in the right circumstance. Uh, and so there's lots of parables and it was a common way to teach in Judaism. And there came a time in his ministry where Jesus used it only. He used it solely. It says this in Mark 4.34, and he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his disciples. So why parables? And, and the question that comes about is that why didn't God just want, why didn't Jesus want to make it completely clear to everybody, right? I mean, how many of you love clear communication? I love clear communication. Don't beat around the bush. Don't go around the mountain, you know, don't, don't, you know, just, just tell me what you want me to know uh, as long as I'm able to tell you what I want you to know. Right? I mean, but it is, it's a, it's a valid question. In Matthew 13, 10 through, through 13, the disciples actually asked him that. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, to you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Somebody say mysteries. But to them... It has not been granted. For whoever has to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So this actually fulfills a prophecy in Isaiah that they would be hearing but not hearing, and seeing but not seeing. And there's really two reasons that I, I believe. One it's to enable followers to grasp the secrets of the kingdom, to unlock heaven to earth, so to speak. And the other, secondly, it has the opposite. It hid the secrets of the kingdom from those who had not committed to his lordship, uh, to those that were indifferent to the things of God. So, so what we see is the parables uh, of Jesus are opened up with faith. They're opened up with the understanding of the Holy Spirit for a kingdom understanding. And the access is available when you're all in. 
When you're all in, there's something like, think about this relationally. If, if, I, if I have kind of a relationship on the outskirts, I'm not going to divulge like close secrets and, and, and things in there. But, but, but if there's relationship where there's, there's an all-in commitment, there's going to be things that I am willing to share and, 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 you know, I mean, you're going to get my secrets if you're in relationship with me. If you're not in relationship with me, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be, you know what I'm saying? Like, like for example, the, the, the covenant relationship that you have with your wife, that you have with your wife, there's stuff that you guys are able to talk about that you don't really want. I mean, you, you get that because you're all in, right? So that's what Jesus is actually saying. So we're going to ask God to open our ears as we dive into the series. Amen. Lord, open my ears. Just say, open my ears. Jesus name. So we're going to start with three parables in Luke chapter 15. I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm just kind of kind of skirt them a little bit. But first of all, because these three parables have to do with something that's lost that needs to be found. We're talking about the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. So how many of you get frustrated when you've lost something? Right? I mean, seriously, the other day I had my day planned out. I'm getting up. We're going to go. I I can't remember what. We're going to go somewhere. We're going to do something. I'm all ready to go, and I lost my wallet. And it changed my priorities just that quick. Right, and I'm looking everywhere. I mean, I'm going to the car. I'm going. I'm. I'm digging out some pants that I threw in the washing machine, thinking, "Oh my goodness, you know, I might have thrown it in the washer, et cetera, et cetera." But it changes your priorities and changes how I plan my day, doesn't it? I mean, if I go, okay, I can go without my wallet, but okay, I'm going to drive, but maybe I shouldn't drive because if I do drive, an officer Stiggle stops me. And he asked me for my, I'm going to say, well, I have it, but I mean, so all of this stuff goes through your head. Stuff happens when you lose stuff, right? And then the other thing is too, is that sometimes you want to blame someone. Where'd you put my, right? I mean, Robbie and I have this, it's funny. We have this great relationship. She loves to put stuff away. She just puts it away in a different spot every time, right? She knows exactly that she did put it away. Just can't remember where she put it away. So it's like, okay, did, did, did you take, did you, did you? No, I didn't. Well, she joined me in the search because she didn't want to be blamed. And she, because I, here, here, here's, right? That's true. I just got you, didn't I? Just, I better help him because he's going to think, uh-huh, uh-huh. But here's the thing. Me losing something actually changed her priorities as well. You losing something changes the priorities around, right? It should, because think about this. Lost stuff is important to us. We have technology that can help us find stuff, right? We got GPS, you got Apple tags, you got, I mean, I got this thing on my, I don't know how it even got there, but when I get away from my iPad, it basically starts talking to me and say, hey, you're, you're, you're away from your iPad. I'm like, yeah, I want to be away from my iPad. Stop. <laughs> right? I've, I've got this, so I've got these hunting dogs, and they like to range, right? And so I, I've got this beautiful technology, 
And it's called a GPS tracking collar. And I'll throw that collar on one and get the beeper going. And I've got this little thing in hand. I can watch that dog and I can watch a little arrow wherever she goes. And up to about three miles to nine miles. That's pretty cool. I can track her, right? I thought about, thought about doing that with my wife sometimes when she goes shopping. But I decided, well, maybe that's a little bit too much. Where's she at right now? I don't know. Who was it? Somebody told me the other day when my wife goes shopping, I always hold her hand. I thought that's really wise right there. Most of you just didn't get it. Uh, so I, I was actually hunting uh, with, with one of my buddies and we were elk hunting and sometimes we get split up and I said, you know, I could bring that dog collar and I could just throw that in your backpack. I'm like, I'm not going to wear your dog collar. No, I'm not saying wear it. I'm just going to throw it in your, then I can always know where you are. But think about this. When someone loses their dog in the neighborhood, social media platforms are filled with information, right? I get a notification from Bonner County Sheriff's Office anytime there's a missing person, etc. We understand the importance of lost stuff. Jesus is teaching that we understand the importance of lost stuff. There's songs about lost love. I lost my dog. I lost my truck. Half the country songs are talking about that, right? I mean, uh, the only thing that we like to lose and we can't is weight, right? (laughs) I think I lost it. Nope, I just found it. It's still there. I don't even need an Apple tag to figure that out. But think about this. People don't intend to get lost. They don't intend, they don't set out to get lost. And when they do, it's usually all they can do to survive and need an outside intervention to be found. That's why I have rescue teams. You know, years ago, I, 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 was, I was, man, I grew up in the woods. I grew up in mountains. I grew up hunting. I, you know, all, all in the days when maybe you had a compass, you didn't have GPS. What was GPS? And I remember one time I was down at the John Day Wilderness Area, and it took me a while to recognize that I got lost. And it introduced a fear and a concern in me that I'd never experienced. Because I am out there, I, I, I've, I've climbed up a mountain, I've climbed back down, climbed back, trying to get my bearings, trying to figure out where I was, and I recognized that I was actually in danger. I was soaking wet, I was out of water, it was, it was just right at nightfall, I recognized I do not have what it takes to stay out overnight. I'm going to have to dig a hole and some branches or whatever, I, I mean I, had, I was not prepared out there. And I was like, I am in trouble. And I find this spike camp out in the middle of nowhere. And there's nobody in the spike camp. And, and I went through this really weird, like, okay, I'm here. I'm soaking wet. I'm in danger of hyperthermia. And there's a tent right there. And there's a sleeping bag in that tent. And I think I'm going to have to strip all my clothes off and go get in that guy's sleeping bag. I'm going through this in my head. I'm going, this is what I'm going to have to do to survive. And then God help me when that guy shows up, because this is going to be really weird to explain. And I was just about ready to do it. I mean, I'm like, okay, I've got, I got to do this. I got to go there. And, and then I heard this bell, tinkle, 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 tinkle. And this guy comes in with a mule and a dog. I'm like, oh, thank God he showed up before I climbed into a sleeping bag. <laughs> I mean, even when you're lost, your pride gets in the way. 
Right? I mean, seriously, even that man thing kind of jumps up and like, well, you know, are you lost? No, I ain't lost. I'm just a little turned around. Right? I mean, that's what we do. But see, nobody ever intends to get lost, but yet they are. They're lost people. And this is what Jesus is teaching. This is what he's trying to emphasize. So these three parables in Luke illustrate how God views the lost, how important the lost are, and how it should interrupt your schedule to find what is precious to God. Can I say that again? It should interrupt your schedule when we need to find something that's precious to God. And we don't do it because we get super comfortable. Don't we? We're comfortable. We're creatures of comfort. We're creatures of ritual. You know how I can tell that? Is I can say, you know what? I even come to church and I see some of y'all sitting in the same seats that you sat in the last two years. And I'm the same way. I just got a thumbs up. Yeah, right, Pastor, that's my seat. I sit in the same, I sit in the same seat. I'm a creature of ritual. I'm a creature of comfort. I know I came to a service one time and somebody had sat in my seat. And I'm like, oh, just got all balled up real quick. I'm going to have to go sit over here. But if I sit over here, this is Johnny's seat over here. And this is Caleb's seat over here. Man, I'm going to have to change. Man, we, we, we are so creatures of just... And Jesus is actually teaching us some things that are important. How heaven rejoices when the lost are found how heaven rejoices. So I'm going to start with Luke 15, 1 through 3. Y'all with me? And we're just going to see how far we get this morning. So first of all, it says in Luke 15, 1, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near him and listened to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable. Uh, First of all, I want you to know that, that these parables are Jesus' response to being criticized by the company that he kept. You say, who are you eating with? Because in the culture, you just didn't eat with anybody. You, you, you didn't want to eat with somebody that you didn't know them, that you didn't have commitment with them, you didn't have covenant with them. Uh, you, you, in, in the ritual laws of the day, if I... If I ate with, you know, Johnny's a, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a stranger. I have no idea. Does he tithe? Because if he doesn't tithe, then basically I'd be guilty of eating untithed food. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff they were going through. And now here's Jesus just basically eating with tax collectors and sinners and people. And so I think for me, what sinks in is Jesus having to defend his involvement with the lost. And the response of heaven drives Jesus to pursue. And the hope of the three parables, I believe, and the intent of these stories is that we will encounter the lost and bring them into the house of God. And, and so in this, Jesus is actually rebuking the Pharisees for keeping their distance from the very people that God wants to reach. See, they had cast people aside. They, had, they were indifferent. They were numb. They were critical. They were judgmental. I mean, once again, it says in verse 2, both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So when we, when we look at the word sinners, a lot of times we have the picture of the, 
you know, the Old Testament prophet on the street corner, you know, with the honey dripping down his, you know, beard and, you know, grasshopper leg hanging out and turn and burn and sinners. And we've, we've actually, you know, a lot of times we've tried to kind of watered that word down. But let me, let me define that for you. Because the reality of a holy God is He can't abide with sin. And so He sent Jesus to become the atonement, to become the propitiation for our sins so that relationship can be restored, relationship can be established. And so the sinners they were talking about were the tax collectors who in the time were considered traitors because they were, they were their people, but they were working for the Roman government. What they do is they say, okay, you know, the law says, uh, I knew the law says you, you need to pay 10 bucks, but I'm going to actually charge you 15 so I can pocket it. And they were stealing. And then there was, so th- think about this for a minute. It shouldn't take you a hot minute for those kind of people to pop into your mind. What are the kind of people that you basically shy away from? Make a wide berth around. You know, are they, are they I, I, I mean, really, if we're fair, there's a lot of people that we're just not too comfortable with and we become more critical of them than we are willing to reach them. It could be people of a different political persuasion than you are. It could be someone in that LBGT community. It could be, I mean, seriously, there are people that are lost. They don't know they're lost and they're fighting for survival and they're being inundated with a culture that's trying to superimpose a different identity on them. I've said this so many times. I'm, I, I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but you're the choir. You get, you get inundated with 1,000 ads each day. Every day. There is a culture, uh, a demonic strategy that is trying to influence your way of thinking and reframe what God has caused you to be. I love last week. I, I, I'm going to steal it. I'm not going to steal it. I'm going to borrow it. What Pastor Brian Jennings said, he said, you got to change your BS, your belief system. I love that. Young people don't go just lost my mic. No, it's in and out, in and out. Okay. Either that or my sound guy just muted me. <laughs> He's prophetic. I didn't even say that the first service, so he must have known it was good. But think about this. In the culture, it was important who you hung with. Even today, we have to, we have to guard the desire that we have to, to be significant. Okay? See, there's this thing that's kind of interesting um, there's so, uh, a phrase called substitute significance. And that's when significant people take notice of us. So what happens is like, I want to hang around Johnny because Johnny's significant, and in doing so, I'll be some sig- significant. We see it. But the problem is, John Piper uh, wrote this. He said, craving honor leads us away from serving people. And people, if we're not careful, they become beneath us. And there's nobody beneath God. And so there was this jealousy of sorts with the Pharisees, kind of this self-righteous pride that actually separated them from people and they felt like they were the only ones deserving of sitting at the table of Jesus. And I think actually Luke 15 verse 1 is a foreshadowing of the kind of banquet 
that the Father is offering. And that's a banquet table with the Son of God showing the Father's heart to fill His house with broken, lost, separated, messed up, jacked up, backed up people. That a lot of times we have a tendency to like make a wide berth around because we're not sure if we have the capacity to deal with the drama. You know, a lot of times broken people come with a lot of, you know, baggage. Man, if I reach out to this people, it's going to be, oh my goodness, I'm going to be... Listen, what did Jesus do? He not only reached out to him, but he said, I'm going to lay my life down for them. Uh, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. That was, his, that was his motto. That was his heart. He said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you've got to become the servant of all. He didn't say there's anything wrong with aspiring to be great in the kingdom, but he said, this is how you do it because it's an upside down kingdom. It doesn't start from the top and go to the bottom. It starts from the bottom and it goes to the top. And that means a lot of times at the bottom, you basically are serving people that maybe you're not super comfortable with. I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. I mean, seriously, we can cop that, right? So Luke 15, there's two, there's two interesting components. Verse 1, I love, it speaks about the drawing power of the kingdom. It said these people were, were coming to Jesus. Can I just say this? There's something attractional about the supernatural. And some of the issues is in our comfort zone, we don't really, we're not sure how we like this supernatural because it can be a little bit uncomfortable. But I'm telling you what, if you were hanging around Jesus for three and a half years like the disciples, you saw a lot of uncomfortable. And it's just, it just is what it is. There's something about good news that attracts just as bad news gains a following. How many of you have been around somebody and they just thought bad news bears, man? That Eeyore spirit. And it's so easy to complain. I mean, the earth, you know, it's just going to hell in a handbasket. Well, I'm telling you what. The good news of the gospel, the kingdom of God, is where we have to actually focus on and continue to, to lean our hearts to. Because both kinds of news have a dimension that draws followers. So what kind of news are you representing? Faith or fear? I want to represent faith every single time. And then Luke chapter 19, verse 10, speaks of seeking. So you saw that in Luke 15.1, they were coming to him. There was a drawing. There was something about Jesus that just attracted people. And I think it's because he, he brought hope. And I think it also, he moved in a way and was demonstrating the power of the kingdom of God to transform people. But then you see in Luke 19, where it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Two dimensions. And I love verse 1. Who speaks of those who drew near Jesus. And then verse 2 were those who were offended by those who were coming. Isn't that crazy? How, ma how many of you have ever been surprised? Some of you know who came to church. Whoa, gee, bro, did you hear so-and-so came to church? I've had people go, I couldn't come to church, Pastor, because the, the roof had fall down. Listen, there's something about this that we have to be so careful or, or how many of you, uh, uh, man, I, I guess I've been doing this long enough. I've seen everything. I've actually seen people that have been offended because so-and-so came to church. 
And I'm like, what in the world? What kind of, you know, I mean, you can't, you can't be like that. I'm like, praise God, man. There's been a breakthrough. There's been, or at least they're in a place for a breakthrough. We have, we have to change our hearts, man. We have to, we have to open our hearts. We have to be willing for people to be drawn because the presence of God hears. We also have to be people that are willing to go and to see because that's what Jesus did. The lost sheep show the shepherd's heart of God. That parable. Isaiah 40, 11 says, like a shepherd, he will tend his flock in his arm. He will gather the lambs, carry them in his bosom, and he will gently lead the nursing ewes. And I was struck by something in all three of these that gathering and rejoicing happened over the lost being found. It sounds like it's really important to God because this is Jesus teaching the heart of God. In Luke 15, 5 through 6, this is the parable of the lost sheep. It says, when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. It's one of the reasons we always give an invitation for somebody to, to receive Jesus, profess him, open the door of their heart, and call him Lord and Savior in our services. And when that happens, that's why we celebrate. I mean, it's because we're actually joining with heaven because heaven is celebrating. The parable, the first one about the shepherd, shows us that heaven rejoices when one is found. Amen? So I want to unpack a little bit the second parable, and I, I think maybe have our worship team start making their way up. I'm finding that I'm preaching a little bit better when I got music. It's really cool. We attended a conference a couple weeks ago, and there was a uh, African American pastor named William McDowell, just super, super amazing. And man, he's bringing his own keyboard player. The whole thing, I'm like, that is so cool. I think I'll take Hannah with me wherever I go. And I'm going to preach over here. You're coming, right? Okay, cool. Ruth, you're coming, right? Okay. I need a little bit of Hammond B3 thing, though, happens, you know, so I can, yeah, yeah. It's cool. You got it. You got it. Okay, so let's look at, look, you guys all cut, you, you guys all good? You guys are a little quiet. Okay, cool. Luke 15, 8 through 10. Or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, now listen, this is Jesus, actually a parable with a heavenly message in an earthly format. He said, in the same way, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I found the coin which I lost. In the same way, I tell you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And once again, there's another word. I feel like we have to continually remind ourselves. Repent has been a word that's been hijacked from the church because we don't want to come across as being, you know, mean. Repent's a beautiful word. It's a power word. It's the first word that Jesus used in his public ministry. It's the first word that John the Baptist used in his public ministry. And it simply means having a second thought that shows the error of the first thought and turning and moving the other direction. 
Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. There's something so far greater than what you're experiencing now. It's the kingdom of God. You need to actually change your mind and recognize there is good news. And then the Bible says that heaven rejoices. So a couple things that I think are important. Maybe three things. Maybe four, just depending on how well Hannah plays the keyboard. Just messing with you, honey. And we gotta have some fun at church sometimes, you know. It's just like, oh, some of you can't. Some of you woke up on the serious side of bed this morning. So the house most likely would have been a tile floor. And in that tile floor, one of the reasons that you would sweep is to make sure that something didn't get lost in the cracks. And it, it just reminds me, the question is how many people are just lost in the cracks? And they need somebody that basically will come and, and search for them. An all-out search, and all-out rescue. Secondly, coins of that culture, the value was dependent on the weight. I went to uh, the lumber yard the other day to, to buy some screws or nails or something. And I kind of expected like a box with a price and they put it in the bag. They said, no, actually it's by the weight, by the pound. Oh, that's really cool. And I was doing the research on this message and I thought, that's actually what was happening. Is that coins of that culture were valued on their weight and it's where the term worthless comes from. Worthless. Because as, as it would encounter the marketplace and, and and you know all the stuff the transactions and everything it would actually get worn out it would get thinner and it would be worth less worthless so where we get this word this concept and you may be here this morning you may be online with us and you may feel like the weight of the world has diminished your worth and you might feel because the enemy would like to actually come to you and say Girl, you're worth less. Can I just declare to you right now in the name of Jesus, you are worth more? You are worth more in the heart of God. You have no idea of the value that God holds you. God watches you. God's with you. I believe the Lord loves you so much and He wants you to know that. Like that, listen, this is this is this is our God. This is how things work because we can look at each other and we can worthless. Jesus is teaching us that it's worthwhile to search and when found, then there's rejoicing. There's just this rejoicing, the loss which has been found. And you may have come here and you may have come to the realization that you're lost. There was a point in time I didn't realize I was lost. And then when I did, it became survival. And I needed somebody to help me. You may feel the drawing of God and that's the invitation where Jesus said, come all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. You may be here this morning lost and you're just in survival mode. And if I could say this, we would be honored to rejoice with you as you open the door of your heart to, to that invitation that Jesus brings to become a follower, a believer, to be all in. I want to take just a moment here this morning and I want us to pray and I want us to all pray together. I want you to repeat after me.
Lord Jesus, I confess my sin. Come on, you need to pray with your big voice. Lord Jesus, I confess my sin as well as my need for a Savior. I repent and turn to you. I ask that you come into my life that I might be rooted and hidden in your life. Today I believe and today I receive you as Lord and Savior. Now here's what I want to do. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, you felt the invitation, the love, the grace of the Holy Spirit on you, you've realized, man, I've been in survival mode. I've been lost and there's a Savior. And today's a day where you say, I, I want to take that step, Pastor. I want to profess and I want to confess that Jesus is Lord. I want to become a believer today. If that's you, here's what I want you to do. Remember, heaven, all heaven's ready to rejoice. We're ready to rejoice. I want you to just raise your hand. Just wave at me. Just say, Pastor, this is, this is my confession today. Today, I want to give my life to this Jesus. Anyone here this morning? Because we are absolutely, the place is going to erupt with rejoicing. Amen. Can we put our hands together and give our give, give Jesus a praise this morning? Here's something else that I want to do. I felt led this morning. I want to pray for all of us believers this morning. That we haven't become numb or apathetic to the lost that we haven't been so consumed in our own comfort and our own schedule we don't want to we don't want to be interrupted but I'm telling you what Jesus is teaching us and he modeled it our hearts can get hardened they can become numb and, and, and we lean more towards judging than we do rescuing I want my life to be known as someone who rescues and that our story is not fear but faith that the supernatural in our life is attractional it doesn't draw attention to us it draws attention to Jesus it shows people there's something more than what we see in this ordinary Jesus told three stories that showed the heart of God towards people who are not yet in the house of God can I just say this it's the intent of God to fill His house. And it's the mission of the church. If you're here and you go, I don't know what my purpose is, Lord. First of all, you're a worshiper. You're a follower of Christ. That's first and foremost. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. All these things will be added to you. But it's the mission of the church to reach, to teach, to preach, to disciple, and in so doing, find the treasure that God is looking for. There's treasure in a community. There's treasure at your workplace. I, 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 this, this message was kind of permeating my heart. And I went down to the local grocery store and I said, God, show me people who are in survival mode. And it was overwhelming. There are people around us every day. They're just hanging on. Some of them don't know they're lost. They don't know the heart of the Savior. And there's a treasure where you work, where you shop, and where you play. It's time to look for people who are in survival mode and lead them to freedom 
and know that heaven rejoices every single time.